Well, good morning again. It's good to be here and, and certainly humbled to have um, the opportunity to, to be here before you and to, to share the word. Um, I hope that you are encouraged this morning just by being here. Um, those of you who are able to be in a Sunday school class this morning, um, but also to be in here together uh, with our family per- pursuing the goal of uh, worshiping our Father. And so I want to share a passage with you today that I think and, and pray will be helpful um, and will encourage you. But before, before we get into that, Owen asked me as, as part of the ordination process that I would share some of my testimony, uh, just a little bit of my story, particularly um, how God called me to himself in and, and salvation and, and then later into, um, into ministry. Um, so my, my testimony is I grew up um, in Duncan, Oklahoma. It's about an hour uh, south of here. And uh, was blessed with a family who prioritized faith, who prioritized involvement in the local church. We, we actually attended the same church um, from, from at least my first memories um, until I graduated uh, from high school. And so as a, as a result of that, I had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And I, I had the opportunity to hear it often um, and from many different places. And so um, as a result of that, um, God called me to himself uh, when I was about 10. Um, he revealed to me that, um, that I, was, I was a pretend Christian, uh, that I was going through the motions, that I was aware of, of the right answers and, and what I was supposed to be doing and feeling. Um, but ultimately, I had not surrendered to um, Jesus' lordship in my life. And so um, I began to wrestle with that and pray through that and became a believer during um, that time. So over the next several years, um, I was able to get more involved in church and moved into youth ministry and and sought um, leadership opportunities. And it was really there that I I really learned that I loved the work of ministry. I loved being involved um, in the process. And so I I began to wonder if maybe that that God was calling me to a life of of ministry and in church ministry. Um, But I wanted to be sure. I didn't want it to be something that that just I wanted, that I desired, but that God desired for me. And so that, that kicked off a process of, of years of, of praying, of, of having conversations with people, um, coming to that conclusion that, that, that this is where God wanted to me, me to be. And so when I was a, a junior or senior in high school, um, a, a new youth minister had, had come to our church, and he and I um, had dozens of conversations. He, he really took the time to take me under his wing, to disciple me, um, to have these kinds of conversations. And it was through those conversations that God really confirmed in my heart, no, this is, this is what I want you to do. And so um, I, was, I was blessed to receive that and, and decided that I would, I would begin pursuing what it looked like to um, have ministry and that be a big part of my life. And so um, committed to that in, in high school and um, graduated, went to, went to OU. Um, just down the street, which is where I, uh, in that process where I was introduced to Jaron, and he was, <clears throat> excuse me, gracious enough to uh, hire me on uh, as his intern for a summer. Uh, that, that summer lasted about three years. Um, my contract said three months, and uh, he lied, and so, uh, but I enjoyed that because as, as you guys who know Jaron, we can talk about him. He's not here today, um, so nobody tell him that we talked about him. We wouldn't want him to be encouraged or anything like that. So, um, but I'm, I'm teasing, obviously. So uh, anyways, he, he, he really uh, stepped in 
Um, he, he cared more. It wasn't just, he wasn't just looking for an intern uh, to, to load the trailer um, or to you know, set up for camp. He, he really invested in me and uh, became a mentor, uh, discipler, and, and certainly over time became a close and valuable friend. And so that was a really valuable time in my life as um, I, I began, I learned a lot about ministry with um, just being around guys like Jim and Jaron and Mike. And um, I, I really value that time. Um, but after a season, um, God blessed me again um, with the opportunity to meet my wife, Jenny Ann, uh, through some friends. <clears throat> I, inherited this, this, I inherited this inability from my family of not being able to talk about family in front of people. Um, so forgive me for that. But anyways, I met my wife, Jenny Ann. Uh, we, we, we prayed and saw that God was calling us to um, get married and move to Louisville. Kentucky, where I would continue my preparation for ministry by going to seminary um, at Southern Seminary. And it's, it's funny, when I, when I think back on my time there in Louisville, we loved our time, I loved the school, um, I loved the preparation that I was able to get there, but honestly, the thing that sticks out to me most about our time there was not anything that I learned in class. It wasn't anything on campus, it wasn't actually connected to um, the school at all. Uh, what, I, what I remember most and what I learned most from our time there happened within the local church, um, the involvement that we had there. So when we moved there, we, we didn't know anyone. We didn't have friends. We didn't have family. We didn't have jobs. We just, uh, we just went. I was enrolled, and that was all we knew. And so we got there and began to look around. And um, it was, it was kind of difficult because in, a, in, a, in this town in particular, there, were, there was good teaching, good churches everywhere. Like all of our seminary professors were pastors at churches. Um, and so we, we visited for a long time and we, we really struggled with that until one day um, a friend of mine invited me to a church. Um, it was a guy that I was working with invited me to a church that in all honesty wasn't on my radar. Um, probably for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't, wasn't really my style, wasn't, you know, I didn't like the, the feel, um, all the wrong reasons, but because he invited us, we, we went with him. And God spoke to us in a, in a big way that that is where he wanted us to be. And very quickly, we were able to meet a group of people who went to church there. And over the course of the next eight to nine months, which is a, a fairly small time frame, um, those people became some of the most important people in our lives. They, um, they became close friends. They're people that we are still in contact with uh, today. Um, because of the intentionality and the focus of them. It wasn't anything that the, the church was doing. It's just these people, God truly brought them around to encourage us, uh, to help us, and to help us grow. Uh, and so he worked um, in us during that time before we had the opportunity to come back here, and specifically to come back to Emmaus. And that was an opportunity that we, we couldn't pass up. We loved Emmaus. We wanted to come back here. Um, and so, oddly enough, we actually moved back the week of the 2013 tornado. Um, so, oddly enough, we were, we were in our apartment packing up boxes um, that day and stopped and sat down and began to watch the coverage and, and pray and, and, of course, text and call people to check on everybody and got here shortly thereafter. And so I share that with you not so that you will have um, just, a, just a biography of me, um, but it's, it's so that you can hopefully see that pattern. Because w when we got back um, over the next few years, God, again, continued to provide people, people from Emmaus, people that we knew, um, to be a part of our life and to be a part of our spiritual walk. 
And that's a theme that you see pop up that, that maybe I didn't notice it at the time, but as I look back on my life thus far, I see God continually providing people in our life. That that is one of the biggest resources that he used to encourage us and to grow us in the faith. Not because of anything that we did, not because we knew to seek them out, but because he provided them for us. And so that is why I share that this morning, because I think it will tie with our passage really well and hopefully serve as an encouragement to you that God can and does often provide um, the kind of people in your life that will push you towards him, that will make much of his name and help you to see what it is to follow after him. So this is the part where the preacher's actually been going for a little bit and then says, okay, now let's get started. Um, so you'll, you'll be fine, I promise. I don't promise anymore now that I've looked at my watch that you'll get out on time. But um, if you haven't already, please open up to Psalm 133. Um, I want us to look at this passage because because of that connection, like I said, to, to my testimony, because of the constant theme of brotherhood and my spiritual walk, and, and I can read this passage and say amen. And so my hope for you is that someday, if, you, if not now, uh, then someday you can read this and say amen. That's true, and that's true in my life. So we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll just kind of, we'll walk through it verse by verse. There's not many, don't worry, um, but and see what God has for us. So Psalm 133, the intro is a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So obviously, uh, a psalm of David. Um, it is included in these 15 psalms that are called Songs of Ascents. Um, so they, they weren't necessarily written specifically for this purpose, but it seems like it began, these, these 15 songs began to be used um, that people would sing or recite as they traveled the three times a year that everybody would come and gather in Jerusalem, they were ascending to Jerusalem, and so they would sing these songs, or, or these songs would be part of that pilgrimage. <clears throat> and so they would, they would do that at the three different um, festivals. And so this psalm in particular, they, they, they vary in their topic, and they vary in their, in their mood and their type. This psalm in particular um, is one of, obviously, celebration, right? It's one of rejoicing. And so uh, it could be rejoicing and celebrating a couple of different things, one being families, so families being joined together in unity. Um, potentially, there could be some essence in which this looks to a future time when the kingdom is no longer split uh, in, in two, that, that the kingdom might be coming back together. Um, and for us this morning, we're going to key in on the, on the focus that this is a celebration of when God's people live together in, in this stance or a, a posture of community. So let's, let's just dive in and look at this verse by verse and see what it has for us. So, so it would be easy, I think, to look at verse 1, how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell in unity. It'd be easy to read that, you know, just kind of take it at face value and move on. Okay, we're supposed to get along. Uh, we're supposed to live in unity. We're not supposed to fight. That's a good thing. Let's, let's move on. But one thing you want to be mindful of when you're, when you're looking at Scripture um, is look for things like repetitiveness or, or repetition, um, kind of o overdoing anything. So you look, at, you look at verse 1 here and you say, how good and pleasing. Now, why, what purpose would serve in, in having both of those? It's, it's for emphasis, 
right? It's to really draw our attention to the fact. It's not just a little bit good. No, no, no. This is really valuable. It's good and pleasing. Um, other words uh, that could be used here that, that, they, that these words are translated as otherwhere, elsewhere in Scripture, um, it's a source of joy, a source of happiness, that it's lovely, it's delightful, it's sweet when God's people come together and live in this kind of harmony. So God is delighted. What we learn about him is that he is delighted when we come together as a family under his name and live like a family. Sometimes an error that I think is, is easy for us to make in our, in our Christian walk is we focus a lot on what we're not supposed to do, right? And, and in that, what we're focusing on is what makes God angry or, or what would make God disappointed with us. And that's a, that's a conversation certainly for a, another day that we can have, um, but don't lose sight of an opportunity that this passage gives us. There's, there's an opportunity here that we, we need to see that we can and have a chance to bring joy to God, that he is delighted by these things, that, w- that we have an opportunity to do something that would put a smile on, on his face. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, one, one of my motives this morning is to encourage and, and motivate you to, to pursue these, these kinds of relationships. So I want to give you motivation for that. For a Christian, pleasing our Father is the ultimate motive, right? What, what more motive could there be but to please him, to bring joy, to bring delight to him? And so we have that opportunity. Right? If, if you have children, which I, I've had for the last couple of years, one of the things that I've learned is I love making my kids happy. Right? I'm, I'm not typically a guy who likes to be silly or goofy and do those kinds of things. But man, if it means they will laugh or they will smile, I'm all for it. Right? I, I, I'll do it because I love seeing them happy. We have that same opportunity with God. We, we have the ability to, to make him happy. When we pursue the things that he wants for us, which is community, which is relationships, he is happy and pleased with us. And so this, the language from this verse is meant to say, hey, this, this is something that is really, really good. It is really pleasing and delightful and something that we should care about and pursue. So that's the, that's the first verse. But it doesn't stop there. It continues to give us reasons. It continues to give us um, examples about what living in unity is, is like. And so when you look at verse, excuse me, verse 2, you see it is like the precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. So if you're, if you're not familiar with this kind of language, the idea of pouring oil on someone's head, um, it, it seems really weird, especially when it talks about how it dripped down through the beard and onto the clothes. Um, what this is is a picture of consecration, right? The reference to Aaron um, is to Aaron's priesthood. So either Aaron or any of the priests who came after him would be consecrated by pouring oil on his head. And consecration um, is just a big word that means you're being set apart for something that God has called you to do. That, that this consecration meant you were devoting yourself to a particular task. Um, in, in this case, the, the task of the work of the Lord, the task of the work of the temple. It was not something that was meant to be taken lightly. Right? Exodus 30 
lays out a, a very specific process for how you were to put this oil together, that you're to, you're to take the oil and then you're to take so much of this ingredient and so much of this ingredient and so much of this one. And these were not, they weren't cheap, right? So at the, at the end of all of this, you came, you had a very special, very expensive, fragrant product um, to be used for the consecration. And such care was taken. In fact, this oil was not to be used for anything else, that this was the only purpose that this oil could have would be the consecration of the priests, um, but you would have that so that everyone would understand how important it was that you were being consecrated for this task. And so for us, the example uh, is that our, our time together, our unity, our, our relationships are setting us aside, are preparing us for the work of the Father. Sometimes a, a person or a, a church can be um, criticized for being too internally focused, right? We're Christians. Our, our call is to go out, right? It's to tell other people. It's not just to be selfish and focus on ourselves. We're, we're to go out and be outwardly focused, and that's true. And, and sometimes we can make the error of being too inwardly focused. But here we have a reminder that something like discipleship, that, that inward focus, and evangelism that they are not opposed to one another, right? That, that they walk side by side. In fact, they, they are two sides of the same coin working towards the same goal, God's glory, making him known, making him famous among the nations. Discipleship necessarily feeds evangelism. If it, if it doesn't, right, if, if your discipleship doesn't end in evangelism, it's not discipleship, right? Those two things have to go together. They must exist perfectly together. But if you, if you try to go and do evangelism, but you ignore and you, and you leave the other side of that coin, you'll give up, right? You won't make it for very long because you won't be encouraged, you won't be motivated, you won't be reminded, you won't be held accountable. All those things that the, that the internal disciplines help you with, you won't have. Right? And so we want to pursue discipleship and we want to pursue a proper internal focus because that is the very thing that will encourage us and help us to go out and be outwardly focused. And so I, I pray that this morning as we read that, we see an encouragement that, that this is not just an internal thing, but that, that it all goes together and all works together for God's plan. So that's verse, verse 2. The, the passage goes on, even gives us another example focusing on a, on a different kind of value that unity can have. So, so first we have the oil illustration, which is how unity and relationships allow us to pursue after God, pursue after the tasks of God. The next example uh, focuses on God's provision. It gives us this picture of God providing dew. It says, It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. So Hermon is a mountain that, that's about 200 miles away from, from Jerusalem. Um, and, and in this area for several months out of the year, like May to October, precipitation is really rare and, and really scarce. And so those are times when it gets, it gets pretty difficult to keep, keep crops alive, to keep vegetation going. And so um, being able to have water being provided due would be incredibly important. Well, Hermon was a place that was well known for how much precipitation got, how, how good it was at keeping vegetation alive um, during the difficult uh, months when there wasn't as much water. So here we see 
God using unity among each other as a source of provision for his people. In fact, a miraculous provision. Like I said, you know, geographically, this illustration doesn't make sense. Herman is, far too, is way too far away to, to, provide, um, to provide that water, but God can take what is there and provide it where he sees fit. And so we, we see God using unity as that provision for us, um, even though it might seem like we're in a desert, that it might seem like relationships and that, and that kind of um, that kind of growth, that kind of value that we want in our life is impossible. We know that we serve a God who has the ability to miraculously provide for us, in, even in ways that we wouldn't have expected, right? And so community is one of those miracles. Remembering that, that community is hard, right? That, that it's not possible on our own and, and of our own uh, effort of our own desire. We, we need God to work in us. When we talk about community, uh, one of the words that comes up most often is that of, of fellowship, the word koinonia, uh, which is really a word that's meant to convey a very deep closeness um, between God's people, between believers, for the purpose of spiritual growth and encouragement. David Mathis, an author, words it like this. He says, it is an all-in life or death collective venture in the face of great evil and overwhelming opposition. True fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl and more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. That kind of fellowship is, is not easy to come by. Right? It is not something that just naturally happens. It is something that takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. Um, there, will, there will certainly be obstacles in the way of that kind of fellowship. It, it means saying no to yourself so that you can have care and concern for another believer. Right? It, it means sacrificing your time and your energy to put it into someone else rather than just yourself, right? It means putting aside differences that you may have with other believers and understanding that the commonality that we have in Christ is what matters, that it can overcome those kinds of difficulties. Well, that's a, that's a tall order, right? You're going to have spiritual, physical, even, even logistical things that get in the way of this kind of community. But what this passage is telling us, if we believe in a God who could bring the waters of Hermon to his people in Jerusalem, you know that he can bring that same refreshment, that same provision to us and to other believers as we seek to grow in that kind of community. And so we have, we have that example of, of God uh, using community as a way to consecrate us, as a way to send us out, to work us out, and also a way to provide for us, to give us the things that we need to pursue after him. Then the passage closes with a reminder of what's at stake. It says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Our, our unity together, our fellowship together, is rooted in the eternal life that God has given us. That, that if it is used well, it can bring us the strength that we need to cling to these promises of God, the promises of eternal life. But if it's something that's neglected, it can have terrible consequences. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But exhort one another every day, 
as long as it is, as it is called today. And that's the part of the verse we know, and that's the, that's the familiar part of the verse, but not to be forgotten is the end that says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? We know that a lack of exhorting one another can lead to the destructiveness of sin. Sin is, sin is not a joke. Sin destroys. It, as we see here, it deceives. Right? It, it, it tears down. And God is saying here, I have given you a resource to fight against those things, to fight against sin, to fight against that deceit. Right? And so it's not something that we can afford to neglect. And it's, it's easy when you read about this to think, well, that'll never be me. Like, I'll never be the one who's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'll never walk away from the faith. I'll, I'll always be faithful. I don't, I don't have any desire to get out of here. I would, I would encourage you to, to, to rethink that. Not as a way to scare you, that, that you can lose your salvation, and not, not getting into any kind of weird theology like that. I'm just saying, c- consider what's at stake, right? And, and consider those that we've seen fall from the faith. Like we are, we are within weeks of, of hearing news of a, of a very popular pastor whose books are on my shelf and I imagine many of yours. Um, he, he's been a pastor for a long time, well-known and well-liked, say, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm walking away from the faith and, and complete shock to anyone who knows him. I don't know the, the details of what led to that. I, I don't know any, any more than just that. But what I do see is that we can walk away, that we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so my encouragement to you is not to neglect something so important that it would keep you from that, that it would keep you from that kind of disaster. And so with those things in our mind, I, I want to, as we, as we finish up here, I want to talk about a few um, pieces of advice, practical advice that I would give you if this is not something that's a regular part of your life. And, and I always think just kind of a, you know, a diagnostic question is, have I had a spiritual conversation with someone in the last week, in the last month, in the last six months? Is somebody checking in on me? Am I checking in on someone else? If you're wrestling with those kinds of questions of, of not having that, um, here are a few, just a few pieces of advice I would give you. Number one is easy. It's not easy. I'm just kidding. It's easy to remember. Uh, just get started. Right? So, so just really what I'm saying here is just jump in. Don't wait for everything to be perfect. Don't wait for things to be aligned. I'm just saying just get started. Just start getting to know people. Look around your life. Look and see who has God already provided for me that I could have this kind of relationship with, that I could link arms with, um, that I could right, be in that huddle that we talked about earlier. Who has God given me as a source of that kind of discipleship? Um, other people in your Sunday school class is a great place to start. That on Sunday morning, as you, as you look around the room and you see who's there with you, people that you've already gotten to know a little bit, um, that is a great source to look and say, hey, these, these two or three families might be some people that we could get together with um, and have this kind of community with. Here in a, here in a few weeks, once we kind of get the lobby um, sorted out, we're going to have a consistent place where you can come, get resources, um, but also you can sign up and say, I have an interest in, in being involved in that kind of a group, um, but I don't know anybody or I don't know who to talk to yet. You'll be able to sign up there and we'll get you connected 
with someone. Now, you don't have to wait for the sign-up sheet. You can, you can do that now. Send, send me an email. Come talk to me. Afterwards, I'll be down front. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But just start looking. Find somebody and, and, and go talk to them, right? If, if anything else, just use this sermon as an excuse. Hey, as a result of what Jeff said, I'm looking for that in my life. I'm looking for those kind of things. And so, my experience is that often when you finally do go talk to that person, you have that conversation, usually they're thinking the same thing, right? They're also looking for that kind of community. They're also looking for those kinds of relationships. They just didn't know how to do it yet. And so go have those conversations. I know that sometimes that can be a little weird. Like when you're thinking about it right now and thinking about walking to somebody, that, that could be a little bit awkward. Um, but I assure you, awkwardness trumps apathy every time. Right? There are going to be times when it's uncomfortable. Don't worry about that. The value far outweighs anything that you would, um, any, any problems that might come from that uncomfortable awkwardness. Just, just go have the conversation. The second thing, have a plan. Right? So, so just get started. Just jump in and then have a plan. Now, I know it looks like I put those totally out of order, um, but, it, but I want that plan to be a group effort. Right? You, you want that to be something that you can talk to the other people in your group about. Um, and this is incredibly important because we know that time is a, is a limited resource. Right? And so right now, as you're thinking about meeting regularly with someone else, you're like, I, I don't have time for that. Well, that's where a plan is, is really important. Um, you want to be able to have an expectation that when you come to meet together, here's what's going to happen. Um, it is really easy for uh, these kinds of meetings to to get distracted, right? To get side railed. You, you begin to talk about sports or politics. Politics is definitely not a good thing to talk about in, in your small group, or maybe ever, but at least in your small group, right? But it's easy to get distracted by those things, and all of a sudden you look up, and we have five minutes left at the end to pray for each other. And so my encouragement would be um, feel some freedom, right? There's no one way that this is supposed to work, right? There's no set schedule that you're supposed to have, but as you meet with people, develop a plan for what you guys want to accomplish um, in your time, and I want you to feel that freedom. Now, if you're somebody who says, listen, I've never done this before. I've never been in a small group. I've never met in somebody's home for these, these kinds of things. Um, what, what in the world happens during these meetings? I'll, I'll give you one suggestion. It's not the only, um, but I want you to know we do have resources, and we want to help you uh, walk through what that looks like. One thing that I want to draw to your attention, um, I actually brought up here with me, is, is this. It's a Go Disciple book. Um, this is as good as I could make it look, right? But what's great about these is put out by the BGCO, um, and they're free. They're, they're free to the church. They're free to you. Um, all you need to do is let me know. But they are, they are Bible studies centered around different passages of Scripture. This one in particular is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and what it does, it gives you five days of devotional quiet time guidance, right? So there's not a lot of content in here. Um, it just says, hey, read, read this passage. Answer this question, answer this question, answer this question. It gives you space to journal in it. Um, actually, at the bottom, there's, there's a memory verse that you and your group can be working on together. It's, obviously, it's tied to the passage that you're studying. So for Sermon on the Mount, um, it's a six-week study, and the, and the memory passage is the Beatitudes. And so you'd take that time. So what a group could look like um, is you, you come together, uh, you have some accountability in 
working on your memory passage together. Um, insider tip, if you go last, you get to hear everybody else say it first. So do your best in whatever, in whatever way you can do that. Do your best uh, to be last, but you, you practice your memory verse. And then you, you talk about what the Lord has taught you that week. Right? You, don't, you don't have to prepare a lesson beforehand. You've, you've already been working on it in your quiet times, in your time in the Word. And with that is some added accountability for that. Um, that you know you want to have something to share. And so you, you do that all week. And then you can close by praying for one another, hearing what kind of spiritual concerns you have, how you can care for each other, and spend that time, that, those last few minutes, um, praying for each other and going out from there. And that's it. There's no, um, there's no lesson to prepare. I, I hope you heard that like that. If you're leading a small group, it doesn't require hours and hours of, of preparation for a, to, to preach a message. Um, right? You're just coming together, providing a space for your group to come together and talk about what the Lord has already been showing you. So just get started, have a plan, and then lastly, commit. Commit. Relational discipleship is like any other spiritual discipline. There will be times when it's going great and God is moving in you. The Spirit is, is stirring your affections for the Lord um, and, and you're encouraging one another and you're meeting every week and, and it's awesome. Then there will be times when it does not go like that, right? There will be times when you have disagreements with, with those you're in a group with or, um, or some, some, parts, some people in the group are more committed uh, than others, right? Or you're going to have all kinds of things that, that can be a problem that if you're not committed, that you're not, that you're not sold and, and devoted to this idea, you kind of find yourself asking, why, why am I here, right? Why are we doing this? And so remember and focus on the promises that God has given us, that he will absolutely use your work in this discipline for his sake. It may not look like you think it will look. It may not happen when you think it will happen, but he has promised us provision and spiritual provision through community and relational discipleship. So press on knowing that that reward will come. And so that's that's what I wanted to share with you today. We're going we're gonna to close our time um, a little bit differently. We're going to have an extended um, response time. And what, what I'm hoping out of this time, David's going to come and, and the, the team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs of worship. I would encourage you, ask yourself some of those diagnostic questions. Spend some real time in reflection. Is, is this an area that you have given proper attention? Is this something you've been avoiding? Maybe you're not comfortable. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you don't care. Maybe it just hasn't, hasn't occurred to you. Maybe you're afraid of, of what, that, what this might mean and what this might lead to. Take this time to worship, to pray, and, and ask God to move in your life. Pray with expectation that God would bring the refreshment of, of the waters, right? That, that he would move in you, that he would create opportunities for you to know other believers um, in a way that you haven't before and that he would use it for his glory and for his kingdom. And so my last encouragement to you would be to remember who God is. Remember his ability to provide this for us. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Remember that God is one who is able to do 
far more abundantly than we could even think to ask. And so I, I pray that you would take this time to worship and ask for what he has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. We know that as sinners, we do not deserve um, the gifts that you have given us. I pray this morning that our hearts would be stirred for each other in addition to being stirred for you. That we would not only be focused on ourselves, but we might look around this room and say, I I want to be a part of a a family. Not, Not just a gathering of people once a week, but a family who dwells together in unity. God, we thank you that you have given us motivation. We thank you that you have given us value in these things, that you don't, you don't ask us to do this just to jump through hoops, but that you provide for us in this way. And so I pray that we would be willing to focus, to be intentional with our relationships, and that you would provide for us as you have provided so many times before. We praise you for your Son, and the great and sacrificial work that he did for us on the cross. And it's in the power of that work that we ask that you would move in us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.